Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith, mental health, and how the church can bridge the gap between them. The day that this episode will be dropping is Election Day. Elections are a vital part of our civic engagement, but they can also be stressful and even bring out the worst of ourselves. So how do we safeguard our hearts and minds, love and respect our neighbors, and still be involved in our democratic process? To talk about this and hopefully answer some of those questions, here are Michael, Evan, and Lindsay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another wonderful episode of the Not Alone podcast, the podcast that explores faith, mental health, the church, and the gap between the two, as well as just how many political calls, texts, and mailers you could get when you live in a quote-unquote swing state now. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm absolutely inundated with mailers and calls and texts about this upcoming election. It is October 2020. The presidential election is coming up uh, and other elections too. It's important to vote on the other ones too, not just the president. Uh, And I have gotten some crazy advertisements. Uh, Mike here with my co-host, Michael and Lindsay, and a special guest, our producer, Justin, is going to jump in with us today. Why don't we let Justin introduce himself first? Hi, uh, I'm Justin. You hear my voice at the beginning of the episode, sometimes at the end, but never in between. So this is new territory for me and i'm excited that i was invited to pipe in a little bit so yeah welcome to welcome to the middle of the episode <laughs> this, this is the middle <laughs> the beginning of the middle yeah i feel like uh, you know what i mean is, metaphorically well politically metal is like really precious uh really precious rare territory right now in the landscape we're in everyone expects you to be on whole like just wholesale buy into one side or the other and i feel like most americans are just trying to figure out what they really think about things so let's find Welcome out this to is the why middle. This, this is why we invited justin because justin is an undecided voter and so no, i'm just kidding <laughs> I, did, I did just get my absentee in the mail i discovered at least you, you go. got yours <laughs> yeah that's true sorry that's sore true. subject <laughs> well don't, michael and Lindsay are here too i want them to introduce themselves Hey, this is Michael McCord. Good to be with you once again. Uh, always love to be part of this conversation. I think today is going to be a really interesting interesting one. And I just want to say in response to all this that I'm excited because I am going to be for the first time in my life a poll official because I thought this year is the year to watch all this go down in person. And I also read somewhere that I think the average poll worker in the United States is 77. Uh, and I don't. I just thought if I could take one older person's place from a COVID ridden election cycle um, might be, might be able to do some good in this election. The average. <laughs> I read some, I was like, I, this, <laughs> we got to check this episode already. Yeah, folks. That, that may be an exaggeration or the this article a, may have exaggerated, but this, I can confirm that it, my precinct, the average age might be skew a little bit older than that. Mm. Yeah, you're this may be folks. a new record for how quickly we've had to fact check ourselves in an episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Lindsay. Hey, everybody. Lindsay Geist, uh, pastor in the Methodist Church, as well as a licensed clinical social worker. I have been spending a lot of time with people lately talking about anxiety around the election and the state of the world. So this conversation uh, seems to be, uh, popping up so often in the work that I'm doing that I'm glad that we could 
have the opportunity to have this conversation online instead of what the four of us have been doing lately of kind of checking in with each other offline as well. Mm. Yeah, it's great to great to be here with you. I am Evan, and I get the pleasure of hanging out and chatting with all of these folks on a regular basis. And we are talking about politics today. Now, if you're like, I don't come to this episode uh, or this podcast to listen to any kind of political commentary, don't worry. We're going to keep that uh, to a minimum, uh, hopefully a, a nunimum. Uh, that's <laughs> We're not making any. Yeah, I made that up. Don't worry. Fact check that for me, Webster's. Uh, so we are... <laughs> I think that's <laughs> we, pants on fire. Is that is that? Yeah, right? that's, yeah, that's good. That. So we're going to be chatting more around the effect that politics has on us as individuals and communities and in the church and faith communities that we are a part of. Uh, it's obviously something that is generally outside of our control, minus the, our one vote each, uh, hopefully one vote each. Everybody remember, you can only vote one time. And we, <laughs> Lindsay really liked that one. And we are... I've been spending some time in North Carolina and North Carolina apparently... Uh, could vote twice. So keep yeah, going. Multi-voter state. Okay. It's good. Uh, so uh, obviously whenever something outside of our control creates this level of stress and anxiety, uh, it affects everything in our lives. It affects our physical health uh, from our blood pressure uh, to our heart rate, to our spiritual health, where we kind of ask God, where are you in all of this? Because I, I it seems like I have, a, you know, kind of two or three options here and I want to see you in this and I want you to lead my decision-making in this, but that is something that is kind of heavy and stressful. And I don't know about you, but I can't really get away from it. It's they're texting it to my phone. I see it on the television. I think the political folks were super happy when sports came back and the Braves being in the playoffs has been, yes, let's go Braves. Uh, we are from the Atlanta area. So we're huge Braves fans here. Uh, and so we're just inundated with these political ads uh, that just we just get say we get excited about any team in Atlanta that wins because it's so seldom and we still have time to lose this. Don't worry. But oh, no, there's plenty no, of time just, for this to we, go very We probably wrong. need an entire episode on grief and Atlanta sports. Oh, my gosh. We should do that episode. That is a great idea. I got an ad that might be the single best political mailer I've ever gotten in my entire life. Uh, the other day. And what it was, was it was a, a kind of double length postcard that was a lenticular, I think is what it's called. And the lenticular is like a hologram. So when you tilt it, it changes the image. You guys know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Like a little hologram mm -hmm. thing. And so there's a lot of different images and it was a political candidate and it was talking about how they had ties to terrorism and the lies that they were showing. And so it was this person with a megaphone uh, directing some kind of film and there's like an American family on the background. And then when you tilt it down, that person turns into a terrorist and the entire American family turns into terrorists with their heads covered and looking like some kind of, uh, I would assume they're trying to go for some kind of Middle Eastern ISIS type look. And they said, this person has ties to terrorism. And it was a lenticular that was like a hologram of like happy American family. But what I didn't get was that the American family are the ones who turned into the terrorists. Like, I'm, <laughs> I don't really understand. The also, that is a really expensive mailer. 
Yeah. He's in, I mean, he's, I know, in Cobb, I know he's in Cobb County, you know. They, I'm like, I know that's the weird thing for me to money. have gotten hung up on, but those things are expensive. Yeah, they are. They are they are really expensive. I can run upstairs and grab it. I'm never getting rid of it for the rest of my life. It is the funniest political mail I've ever gotten. It, it is funny, sense. but it's also horrific. It because and I think it it's like captures today's episode completely because the way the system is designed is is to manipulate power by creating a common enemy. And it has to be in the the more dangerous you can make that enemy, they're going to take my health insurance away. They are terrorists. They support Russia. They are for China. you know whatever like whatever those things are are uh, are getting into. It it's like we got to make them evil. And the only option you have is this other option, who is the opposite of evil and danger and fear. And happens to be your candidate. Yeah, and I think that's that leads us to kind of a good caveat coming into this. Uh, we can't really have a conversation about stress caused by a political time or a political uh, event, such as an election coming up, without addressing certain things that are happening in politics. Uh, so we're not going to try uh, and take any sides, but we're also not going to avoid talking about specific things that have been done or said in the past or in, in this election cycle. So we're not going to try and find some like perfect center where we try and give like equal time. We're just, we're just going to talk about conversations about how things have made us feel uh, what it does to our mental health and how it relates to the church and our, and our spiritual lives as well. And um, so we're not endorsing any candidate in any race or any side. We obviously all have our own views and opinions, uh, but we really want to talk about what the things that are happening and the situations that are present, how they make us feel and the situations that they put us in uh, and our relationships that we have with others as well, because this can be something that's difficult to talk about. Um, so you'll probably hear and be able to uh, assume some kind of political opinion or stance on, on different things. Potentially we're not trying to change anybody's mind or, uh, tell anybody what to think or how to vote. Uh, but we do want to talk about how these seasons make us feel uh, and how we can potentially maintain relationships with people who may or may not agree with us because these things are definitely in our congregations and in our churches and they're even in our families as well. And if we can't maintain relationship as a church through these differences, uh, we're, we're in big trouble. Uh, Jesus modeled that we should be able to dine and have relationships with everybody in our lives, uh, regardless of different opinions and life circumstances and upbringing. And we think that's a really important part of our conversation today. So uh, don't freak out. We're not going to tell you how to vote. We're not going to talk about specific issues as much and that kind of stuff. But if you feel things straight, we're also not going to try and tow some kind of perfect centrist line on, on any of these things. We're going to be honest uh, as we kind of talk about it together. So I'm just going to assume that your silence on the other end as a listener uh, means that you agree that that's okay. And uh, if you want to shut it off, then go ahead, uh, shut it off. But if, this, if, we, if it causes... this is informed consent. I think that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what you just said, you know, jokingly shut it off uh, if it's bothering you. I do think that's one of the key things for our mental health this season is that if politics, you're finding that it is manifesting huge stress and anxiety in your life or your body, um, and it's all triggering it, give yourself some space. You don't have to watch it all. You don't have to listen to it all. You're allowed to take a time out and walk away. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Well, I think that leads us to our first question, Lindsay. So tagging along with what you just said there, when we experience that anxiety and we get that stress that kind of comes with politics. Now, sometimes that's just a, an accumulation of those things, right? Maybe we can read a couple articles. It's no big deal. But if we see it every day and we feel like things are just constantly horrible, right? Like, for example, one of my favorite facts is that this is the safest time as far as violence in human history. You, there's never really been a time in on all of human existence that you are least, less likely to encounter violence in your life. You are physically safer in the modern era than you've ever been in any time in human history. But uh, for some reason, I don't always feel that way. And so uh, when we experience those things and we talk about taking that break, what does that break look like? What do we need to tell ourselves in our minds, Lindsay? What are those conversations you've been having with folks look like? Well, part of what's hard is that we have 24-7 news and global news these days. And so we used to have a, kind of a smaller world where we weren't getting what we perceive as new information every hour of every day. Um, and we were only knowing our local community. And and by we, I mean generations and generations ago. Um and now we can know all sorts of things in real time. Uh, there can be perceived updates all the time. And I am given more things to worry about in the world. So while it is helpful to know what is happening in Europe to make me an informed global citizen, that... Uh, at the same time, like it's not going to directly impact the next hour of my day. And so we're given all this information that our brains are constantly trying to figure out how to synthesize and take in and figure out where to filter it. As we mm -hmm. talked a little bit about in our episode on labels and just in previous episodes. And so all this information is overwhelming us. And with politics right now, you cannot seem to turn on anything on the TV or the news or even talking with family or friends without it coming up. And so for a lot of people, they're needing to limit and be in control of parts of their life of how much they're encountering it. So turn off the news. You really are not going to get something so new in the news between one hour and two hours later, pick a time each day that you, if you feel like you need to watch, you watch for 30 minutes and then you're done. If it's overwhelming you, if the news story is really, really big, one of your family members or friends will probably tell you. So if you shut the news off for a few days, if it's really giving you a lot of anxiety the world's not going to come to an end. Like it's going to be okay. Somebody will tell you if there's something catastrophic happening. Set that's boundaries. Hard to, that's hard to break out of though. I just a few weeks ago did a, just a one week fast from news and social media. So I, uh, I moved the icons on my phone that I would normally click on to a different spot. I removed the bookmarks in the toolbar so that that muscle memory, I, I would click on something and it was like the wrong thing. And I 
was surprised and not surprised how much of my idle time was just consumed with just checking in on what I would say is, quote, the state of the world through just clicking on things, whether it's a social media thing, whether it's a website, a, a bookmark, the, the different news sources that I want to look at. Um, and I, I honestly feel like I kind of had withdrawals. Like my brain was like, no, that we're supposed to read something that's supposed to make us outraged. And I had this like, what was normally just like an informed placeholder. Like I felt like I was being informed and I kind of realized it was kind of like just an outrage placeholder where my brain was like ready to get fired up and get mad about something. And uh, it was amazing the difference that it made to just take a step back. And I really didn't miss anything. Like I really, I really didn't miss anything at all. Um, and what was interesting was that I did miss chatting about certain things with like family and stuff like that. Cause it's kind of how we cope and stay sane. But that being said, Michael, in your experience, what has been the balance between that staying informed and feeling like you want to be aware of what's going on in that responsibility with what I've heard some people refer to as just doom scrolling where you have you know, privatized news that needs to sell advertising, right? So they're they're going to sensationalize things for views and clicks. And so they're really incentivized to create things that are going to get you kind of hooked on it. Uh, and then being an informed follower of Christ in a really community that you live. I think that's a, that's a really, uh, that's a big question um to to think about is is how to balance as as a thoughtful caring christian who cares both for themselves and for their neighbor who thinks differently than them this influx of constant information uh, that that may or may not be fully true and i think that's i think that's the other you know piece of what we've really become high, sort of hyper aware of is that we don't necessarily know how much of what we're reading is really true um, and how much of it is shaped. And I don't mean like, uh, and I think that's probably, probably the most um, damaging in the news cycle is that stuff that is slightly tailored to your, so like if you'll read, um, You'll read news stories across various different sites. You'll see slightly different headlines that tell slightly different story, and and so how you tell a story, even though the 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 center of it is still the same, the nugget happened, like the thing happened, but how you tell it shapes that story and how you read it and interpret it. So what I'm thinking in in what I've been trying to do myself is to have more conversations with people um, about things that are important to me and, and attempting to have those kinds of conversations with people whom I know think differently than I do. Um, I think that's, so, so when you think about like the news cycle and the news channels um, really become, it, you'll, there's been lots of research that lots of people sort of hone in on their one ideological thread. And so it becomes an echo chamber. So you only see the world from one lens and then, and then you're taught to that anyone else's viewpoint is wrong and bad. And therefore you shouldn't talk to them. Um, 
perhaps you should talk at them, but not with them. So I think the most authentic Christian thing we can do is to put down our tablets, put down our phones, put down, turn the TV off and actually talk to our neighbors um, and talk to the people around us, especially those who we think might think differently than us. Because I think you'll be surprised at what people really think when you start to peel back the onion. And if you can get past the, what you might call posturing, you know, the, the political posturing that I'm a Republican, therefore I believe this set of things. I'm a Democrat, therefore I believe I'm a libertarian, therefore I breathe, you know, much like Christianity, right? I mean, it's the same thing. You say you're a Christian. Um, well, that's a loaded term. A lot of people think a lot of things about Christians that may or may not be true about you. Um, I'm a Methodist. And in the United yes. Methodist Church in the last couple of years, are you progressive or are you traditionalist? Like there's exactly. only two exactly. options. It's, it's, everything is a binary choice and mm -hmm. it's good or bad, right or wrong. And and that's kind of where we've set as a society right now. And it's not just us. There's it's 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 worldwide right now. There's this real sense of bifurcation of the world, I guess you might say. Black and white thinking is something that's really common for people wrestling with anxiety, that they believe that there's only right choice or wrong choice, that there's only these two options. And so when you're wrestling with anxiety, a lot of times it's about being fearful that you'll make the wrong choice. And it's about moving away from believing that there's only two options, right and wrong, and seeing if there, it can be more fluid than that. Yeah. Like when we are calm and at rest and not under stress, we can engage more of the prefrontal cortex, the front part of your brain, where we do a lot of higher thinking and creativity. And we're able to hold things in tension with each other because our, our brains are at ease and we're not under stress. But when we're under stress, if you think about it, like, like if you are an animal, uh, and you're confronted with the noise of a predator, your entire mind switches, not thinking about food or water or what to do next, but thinking about li living or dying. And, and so decision-making becomes very concrete and very fight or flight. Yeah, the I amygdala think, goes into overdrive. Exactly. And, and so sending you, extra cortisol places. Like, right, I better out. survive. Time out. Prefrontal cortex, amygdala, cortisol. Tell me what those are. The amygdala is the one that's taking in all of uh, kind of picking up your senses and then trying to decide what to do with those senses. And uh, it can either run it then through this logical filter or it feels like I don't have time for that. I better make a quick decision to survive right now. And so then it sends so, out cortisol. It, so Evan, if you're on a, if you're in a filter. dark alley and you hear the click of a gun, your brain immediately switches off all of your other senses and focuses clearly on is that is that a gun or is that not a gun? Do I need to run? It's not it's not thinking, wow, the stars look really lovely tonight. Or you hope it doesn't, at least. You don't want your brain to do that in that situation. Um, and Right, because I need to yeah. pull out my two guns. That's right. That's right. Way to, way to use a, a, a you know gun analogy in a political conversation. Thank you, Michael. 
Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my rifle but, from my back. But, but if you if you think about where we're situated right now, we we have um, a a uh, a political situation that is wrought with turmoil anger, frustration, inner infighting, ongoing investigations, lots of just a lot of tension built up there. And that's nestled inside of a global world, a global worldwide, there's redundancy, a, a very big global pandemic where people are dying uh, literally every day. And, and people we love are getting really sick um, and, and economies are falling apart. And, and, and there's so, so that is happening. And and then if you look just beyond that, then you also, as we opened with, you know about every bad thing, every earthquake, every tsunami, every every bad thing is happening in the world. And so you have this, the normal person today is shouldering all of that, which is like a prolonged in a dark alley with a gun kind of scenario. And your yeah, body it keeps and your mind going is over exhausted. and over and over right. of sending extra cortisol and freaking out. The cortisol goes to your adrenal glands. That is, this is all very Google it. Um, yeah. What it's doing is sending messages and um, uh, to certain parts of your body to say like, okay, we got to figure out how to keep the adrenaline rush up. Keep the blood flowing to your extremities so you can run. To keep survival mode happening. When we're in the global pandemic, what's happening to a lot of us in our mental health is that we are always staying on. Like there can always be a life or death crisis, which there can be, but also can't be. I mean, you're not standing in the dark alley with the gun at every moment, but our brains have now perceived that all day, right. every day. The gun is invisible and potentially inside any and all of us at all. Which right. is almost so more scary. Baseline right. interactions with the but people it who means that down. we don't have any moments for our body to come down um, and rest again, which our bodies naturally need to. They need to exert all that extra energy and then rest and come back to kind of baseline. And we don't have any ability to ever have time to come back to baseline. And so we're always up and we're always exhausted. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that the 24 hour news cycle in part is keeping us at political and social gunpoint, at least mentally, as far as the energy that we're keeping. And we are doing it to ourselves by being potentially, I'll even say addicted to it because we've, we've grown accustomed to it. Is that what Absolutely. Because yeah. those endorphins, like there's a lot of like your body's chemical responses to to this kind of energy, like adrenaline, endorphins, all these kinds of uh, uh, chemicals that run through our body really are the same things that give you you get gratification of for doing things that that feel good, like getting a massage and those sort of you know, things that 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 you enjoy doing. Um, and so in some ways they do become intoxicating and addictive. Um, and so you keep scrolling for the next news cycle. Cause you know, it's, you, you just know in the back of your mind that somebody's done something wrong and they're going to get caught any minute. And you just, you, you're waiting you want to be the first to know, to confirm your mm. bias, you know, to confirm mm. that your story is true. Justin, what's your, what's your perspective on some of the, the immediacy of some of the news and the constant bombardment uh, as you've kind of grown up. 
Well, I actually have a degree in journalism from the University of Georgia, Grady College, yep. and we talked. No, so does that wait? Does that mean we can't trust anything you say from this point on? That's correct. You so, caught me. I am a grifter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm part of big media. But we talked, you know, we talked extensively about the 24 hour news cycle when we were in school. And, it, you know, it was birthed out of a desire to be first because that used to be, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of, uh, you know, the badge you wore in your chest as a journalist or a news agency was we cracked this story first. So that's where it came from. But as they were, you know, running for 24 hours, they were needing to get people to tune in at all times. So they had to make it a little spicier. And, you know, the world is just kind of, is chaotic. So there's always something you can hone in on. But now it's evolved to this point where it is sort of this addictive. Uh, it is an addiction for people and they people mm -hmm. really do. Uh, it's kind of like being an adrenaline junkie, you sort of get your high off of being outraged at the next thing that comes at you. And there's a lot of different angles and everybody's feeding. Each side claims that they're everyone thinks they're not uh, a victim of it which is maybe the first time that maybe you are if you're if you're hmm. always complaining about these other people being oh they just you know everything is such an existential crisis to them they just need to chill out you know if you're so bothered about it, you might you might be on the same drug but i guess right yeah and then and then you're supposed to somehow make rational decisions in the middle of all this that's that's the other thing and that's what we're up against now is we've spent however long in this in this well let's, let's at least say seven months where we've had the had the pandemic and political one political crisis after another and a 24-hour news cycle um the world is reeling in all kinds of ways and we know about that and then we are supposed to go to the polls or we are going now many are going now or ha have already sent in their absentee ballots and you need to make a rational thoughtful caring decision about the future of your community of your state of your country and it's wrapped in all of this absolutely and if you're just you know on the cycle you know it's you're being taken for a roller coaster ride and it is hard to make a rational decision especially when it feels like life and death are at stake every time you know, anytime there's a storage drop, anytime you're at the ballot, you know, I mean, how can you feel good about your decision if you're if both sides are, or any side is telling you that people might die as a consequence of the other side winning? And that's hard to do. But uh, Michael, I think you I think you've got it right. Talking about neighbors, you know, talk about talking about, you know, instead of just engaging with the news by itself. One thing, there is a better way to engage in the news. Uh, you can always subscribe to these you know email newsletters you can always get ap and reuters updates to your phone so you can get it's going to be a milk toast flavor so it's going to be kind of like going from eating fruity pebbles to cereal to eating all brand buds it'll be good for you <laughs> it won't be exciting How but it'll be good for food you food analogies are we gonna have in our podcast <laughs> episodes <laughs> clearly that's we that's the one thing we're enjoying these what days. happens when you when you record in the afternoon that's true. Food is going to make its way in here, you know. Everybody <laughs> understand it's, understands food, too. It's a universally true. shared experience. True, Justin, I think true. there's a great resource called All Sides. It's, I think it's a, it's a great uh, website for navigating the news because it will show you um, right, center, and left perspectives on the same news story. So you'll, you can actually click to the news story that's on one website that's right-leaning 
uh, one that's unleveling. And you can read and see the differences. And they sort of, they, every day they put these, the major news stories together and then you can, you can read it from different perspectives. And I think that's a way, if you don't feel comfortable having a conversation with someone who's different than you, I totally get that. I mean, I think it's a scary thing to open up around politics right now. But that might be a way for you to start having a, a virtual conversation, if you will, with a couple different perspectives that may increase how you see the world. Absolutely. And I think um, going back to Lindsay's point, talk about all the stuff with the amygdala and sort of the reptile brain problems of fear. I've, and I think you were touching on this, Michael. I think the first step is you have to commit yourself to being a good learner. You have to learn about other people you won't understand what exactly you're going up against until you understand what sort of life experiences brought them. And also just being a learner might, you know, you might find you think differently about things than you previously thought. And I think that's part of being a mature adult. Hmm. I have a question then. So as believers, I don't feel like God calls us to live in perpetual anger. Uh, Really? Yeah. You mean I'm not allowed to just go lots of places and flip tables? Well, I think there's a place, it sounds like in scripture for some table flipping uh, as Jesus went to the temple and it doesn't even say, don't get angry. Like I don't, I don't really see anywhere in scripture that like experiencing all, anger. All feelings itself, are neutral until we assign them good or bad. Yeah. Value. But mm-hmm. I, I am seeing this long-term fatigue that just a constant anger can have. Um, and I'll be honest, that transcends political perspective. Uh, a lot of the people that I think of as more politically aware in my life also seem more angry about all of it constantly. And I'm not really sure as a believer how I'm supposed to pay attention and yet not be angry all the time and what I should do when I feel anger on any side of the information that I would ingest politically. How do I process that? What, how does God want me to process that? I think you make a comment under a news story or a Facebook oh, post is that or it? Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the best way to handle anger. The best way is when on, on places where people <laughs> share their opinion for you to say your opinion is wrong. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay. So is this helpful? Is this what you were looking so for? News site, com, news site, com, <laughs> anonymous news site comment sections uh, are where I will find uh, solitude and I will find Christ in the anonymity. Yeah. If we're going to talk about real anxiety and anger, never open the comments. Okay, never. everybody. Like never. create a boundary for yourself right there because it is very rarely has it ever been edifying and lovely and help you learn something new. Um, So let's create dialogue places instead of just uh, sharing our own thoughts and not wanting to hear anybody else's in comments. So that keeps me from getting more angry but I still feel anger. What do I need to do to, do I need to just pray harder? Do I need to read a different Bible? Am I looking in the wrong place? I I still feel it. I feel I'm holding it inside of me and it says to not go to sleep and then wake up and then still be angry. That's like the one kind of like time frame guideline that we have. 
but I don't know if that's possible because I got another mailer when I went and got the mail this morning and I got angry again that all this money was being wasted on postage. So how do I diffuse this anger? How, what does God want well, me to do with the anger that I feel inside? You know, anger is one of those things that I think um, is designed to help you see things differently. Um, it's a sign, you know, again, we can see anger, we can assign value to anger and say that it's bad. Uh, anger makes you do bad things or anger is, is a, is a physiological and emotional response to some kind of agitation, something, something's not settling well with you. There's some disparity between what you think and what you believe and what you're hearing. Um, and that, that anger is a sign that those things aren't, aren't meshing, and so it's then maybe the opportunity for you, I know this seems really counterproductive, is actually to try to understand the other side a little bit more. Um, it's what we understand as empathy. And empathy is the antidote to anger and fear about other people. Because until you get a chance to try to understand them and see them as people first, um, and then their sets of beliefs, um, that is actually what enables your body to reduce the anger, the disparity between these things that you believe and they believe that are creating this anger. Um, and so I think I, I go back to my earlier. I mean, I think there's some physiological things you can do, too. You can do exercise more. You can get outside. You can you can you know, be physical. Those things really reduce kind of some of the some of the uh, neurochemicals that that drive those kinds of sensations. Uh, but I think the other thing is just just start being together with people and seeing them as people first um, rather than objectifying them as a set of beliefs. So the pandemic has absolutely exacerbated this, right? Because we're also not supposed to be together with people right now. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. true. At least not in the physical, you know, even Within maybe that's better. You each have other. To be physically that way you can't hit each other. So maybe this is good. You just sit on the, sit, and you have to be outside. You can't be inside. So you have to be on the, you know, in your driveway, distanced. So now you can't get into a fist fight. You know, so this this could it was be was Aaron Burr that came after somebody with a cane a long time ago. <laughs> he seemed pretty angry. You know, I just think it's going to take a long time for society to sh- change, but it's going to take some of us taking those first steps um, in order to to reduce the anxiety in the world. Anger is also uh, sometimes. Uh, feeling that covers up other feelings. And so we immediately say we're angry about something, but we might not always, uh, that might not be the real root feeling of what's going on. Bring out that emotion wheel. I know the feeling wheel coming back. It's going to be linked way too many of these uh, episodes because I think we all need to go back to the basics. Maybe Evan's grandmother will mail you. A feelings wheel too. She'll do it. I hope that I'm as cool as you, Evan. I agree. Um, so sometimes it's really about getting to the root of what some of the deeper feelings are. Am I sad? Am I worried? Am I um, feeling uh, powerful? Am I feeling uh, shamed? Shamed about my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, where, what's really happening. And then when we name that deeper feeling, then we can often use that feeling in a more empowering way that, okay, if I, 
how can we um, use that to twist into uh, like figuring out ways that I can advocate or partner together with other people uh, or figure out what am I really worried about uh, using that deeper feeling to figure out what the next steps might be. Hmm. That sounds like a lot of work. I mean, feelings are work and yeah, it'd be easier to just be angry and flip tables and live in that space. It's not healthy, but it'd be easier. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the time we tend to focus on the fact that Jesus flipped tables one time or that he was stern one time instead of focusing on what he spent a lot of his time on. Well, I mean, what I love about that story is that there, first of all, maybe there are some circumstances where it really is appropriate to flip a table, um, literally or metaphorically. Uh, But also like there is a time that while he was mostly calm and peaceful and having important dialogue He also sometimes just couldn't bottle it up anymore. And it came out in not the best way. Um, My guess is, is that if Jesus were a guest on our podcast today, he might not say, he might say that wasn't the best way to probably handle that situation was to flip the table. Ooh, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough theological place. I'm thinking through that now. Jesus would say that maybe the way that he did it wasn't the best way to do it. So and I'm not saying because, we know for sure, but I mean, was that really the best way to deal with his anger or was that um, like, was that a place where we really needed to come in with serious anger and show uh, how strongly that impacted him? Are there places that we need to, in our lives, use that much anger or is it us being human and not being able to always have a calm, rational conversation and sometimes losing it? Mm. So being able to admit that maybe we didn't handle something the best way doesn't necessarily mean that we were wrong and sinful in it. We just didn't handle it as well as it could have been handled. So not sinning is not the same as doing the absolute best thing all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to dissect this a little bit. I mean, I don't have it all theologically worked out. I think that I've just done my own, some of my own wrestling with in that moment, does that moment, and I need to, like I said, I need to do a little more digging. Is that moment saying that that's how we need to be acting or sometimes our emotions come out in wild ways? Right. Because he was angry more than just that one time. Right. That, there's only one time that, that we know of that uh, a physical object was flipped. Now, I assume Jesus would have been a huge fan of flipping a half-filled water bottle uh, in gym class, like many of <laughs> He'd be the perfect bottle flipper. Uh, but Jesus, was he was just a big flipper in general. That's what you don't know about him. Uh, he, was, he was really into it. Not a flip-flopper, though. I always thought that passage... Um, this is just the way I was taught and the way I read it was I felt like it revealed maybe God's desire for justice because I always saw the peddlers in the temple as people who were, I guess, taking advantage of a system for profit and it had lost sort of its holiness. Yeah. And reading. No, I think that 
the question is if if that's what's what's going on is the best way to is the best way to respond is it metaphorical that he's trying to upend the system or is he actually going in flipping the table and when we see corruption or pain or taking advantage of people happening should we go in and create some sort of physical altercation and flip a table and do something um i would think at the very least it it says it's okay to feel that way mm -hmm. because it makes that stirs god to that if it stirs the heart of god to want to flip tables and destroy people's property it's okay not saying we should start destroying people's property but it's okay (laughs) if you feel that way is that why i got kicked out of the kids consignment sale (laughs) at the church (laughs) (laughs) so i mean i think justin first of all it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling like i think that is uh one form of shame that's in our society that could be particularly um destructive is that oh i have this feeling i should not have this feeling therefore i must be bad because I'm having this feeling. I'm angry. I should, as a Christian, I shouldn't be angry. Therefore, I must be a bad Christian or I must be a bad person. That's shame. And it's a cycle and it's destructive um, to say, I'm angry. Okay. What makes me angry? What's making me angry? It's okay to feel angry. Anger is an emotion. It's not good or bad. It just is. What is, what's, what's stirring this anger in me because I want to address it. That's that's a that's a much healthier response to this this kind of anger, um, and I think you know the 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 story of Jesus is one in which I think embodies the story of us. So the gamut, the full gamut of emotion is is in Jesus as it is in us, um, you know. And I think which is which is amazing it, when we're in a healthy place and we get to look at that and say, okay. I'm going through some really hard loss, and I see Jesus weep over Lazarus, right? And his and and his close friends not believing what what comes after death or any of that, and 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 so we see that we see Jesus getting scared um, as he approaches the crucifixion and feeling remorseful. We see this moment when they're selling these things inside the temple. Um, so so you see this full gamut. So what what becomes a little bit challenging for us now um, is is that we can also see people use those passages to justify any means. So we all know that there are religious organizations or, or uh, organizations that affiliate or identify as religious. I'd, I'd rather phrase it that way than saying there. Uh, for example, when you talk about um, uh, t- there's a lot Muslim terrorists, there are terrorists who affiliate themselves or say they are part of Islam, right? It's the same as Christian terrorists. There are people who are terrorists who, who, whose interest is making terror in the world who, who say they're affiliated with a religious group. It's a different way to understand those organizations. But, but the, within those kinds of cells, though, they will use stories like, like that of Jesus turning and said that violence sometimes is necessary in order to get what is right. And so, um, again, I'll go back to this idea of having relationships with other people is central to, to clarifying what is right and what is wrong. It's the same way we talk about ordination. Like when someone 
feels called to ministry, we're going to ask them to, to seek out, is that affirmed in other people? Do other people see you as being called to ministry? Have they affirmed your skills for those, kind, for those kinds of things? When you look out and you look in scripture, are there places where you see your gifts being lived out in, in, the, in the work of ministry? So there's this way of testing your thoughts and your ideas across people, across scripture, and then coming to a place of like, this is an okay thing for me to do as a faith, um, as opposed to just saying, you know, he turned the tables over, he got violent. Therefore, we have to go in and do something violent in response to this thing that we believe in. And it's at this point that Michael needs to go pick up his kids from school and be a good father. So, Michael, way to go. You're doing the right thing, leaving on time so that your kids don't have to wait for you in the carpool line. Thanks again to Justin Patton for producing this episode, and extra special thanks for joining us and sharing some of his expertise and perspective. Lindsay, as always, thanks again for your time and your wisdom. Everyone, don't forget to go vote. Election Day is coming up on November 3rd, uh, which actually should be about when this episode releases. If it releases after Election Day, my bad. I hope you remember to vote, but no big deal. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you taking the time to do so. As always, you can send your feedback our way at Not Alone Pod on Instagram or through any of our other social media channels. Have a great week, everybody. 